Happy holiday weekend to you. Why don't you look in your Bible, if you would, at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, 1 Peter 2 is where we're going to spend most of our time in our week three of our series called uh, The New You. So 1 Peter 2. And we'll uh, pray and jump in. Lord, we just pause to say thank you. For many of us, thank you for a holiday weekend. For many of us, thank you for a new rhythm and a new season, whether it's a school or parenting or whatever it is. God, thank you uh, for a beautiful summer. Now we thank you as we lean in towards the fall and we remember that you're God, the God of all seasons. Every day is uh, filled with your presence and every season we can see a little bit more of who you are. So God, even as we're looking at what it means to be a new creation, Holy Spirit, teach us what we need to do as we remember who we are called to be. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 All right, the new you. Uh, Who are you really? That's what we're looking at. What are the most important and most defining things about your life? You strip away all the titles that you may have, whether it's you're a boss or whether it's you're a parent or whether it's you're a student. What's the most true thing about you? Well, we saw in week one, because this is week three, that you and I, we are the new creation. God's made us brand new. Yes, same old body and same family and same network of relationships, but something deep happened within when I chose and when you chose to follow Jesus. And what does it mean for us to be a new creation? We teased it out in week one. The podcast is up if you missed it. It means we're a new people. Yeah, I'm the same human, same passport, but something real happened within. And we belong to a new family. Something happened relationally. When I think about the other people in my life and in my world, I'm now related to a new group of people that before may have been strangers. And then we're driven by a new purpose. God has designed something for you to be, and because of that, some things for you to do. And when you discover that your life is really new in Jesus, no matter the trajectory that your world was going in, you can reorient that trajectory. God's given you the ability to find the new path that he wanted from the beginning that we strayed off of because of our own rebellion and selfishness. Now, because of Jesus, we can get on that path to God's purpose. Well, last week we looked at what a, a new creation meant. Some of you here, here it, 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 we have to remind ourselves that we have been made holy. Because we're new, we are now a holy people. And we use this analogy. I think that was helpful. I was created to house the presence of God. So we're a fine china. If you remember from last week, you and I, we are a piece of fine china. You put the best thing on fine china. You and I are not disposable plates. You and I have been created recreated in Christ Jesus to house the presence of God. Now, that's not goofy. That's not weird. That's not religious jargon. I'm talking about when you wake up to go to work, you and I were created to house the presence of God as we go to work. When we're making decisions, when we're thinking about the focus, when we're thinking about what to do next, when we're wrestling with temptation, you and I were created to house the presence of God that's practical so that you and I know what to do. Now, Because of that, I'm going to throw a quote on the screen, take a photo of it, or write it down. Holiness, the fact that you and I are holy, matters not because I'm afraid that God is mad at me. So many of us, our view of holiness is like, God's perfect, I'm not, I'll never make it. No, holiness is not about God being mad at you. I want to live pleasing to God because I've been accepted by grace through faith in Jesus. 
because I've been made new, because I'm the new creation, because God has already made me holy now, that is, I can house his presence, I want to live into the person that God created me to be. So out of that, all that's been foundation. Every week, we're just laying another layer. All of this is a setup to look at the letter uh, to a church in Ephesus that we're going to do in a few weeks from now. But everything to do with this letter to the Ephesians has to do with these fundamental thoughts about who you and I are in Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at 1 Peter 2 to talk about how to grow in a life of holiness. If you and I are holy now, that is, we're set apart to house God's presence, we can actually walk with God, and we're being made holy, that is, just because God set me apart for his presence doesn't mean I have other temptations, doesn't mean I don't have other uh, values, it doesn't mean I don't mess up, it doesn't mean I don't slip. How do we grow in an area of living pleasing to God? First Peter 2, we'll start in verse 1, if you're there. It says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave, underline that word, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. A couple of foundational thoughts that build off of the last few weeks and are going to get us to the next thought, which will lead us into next week's conversation about the reality of the Holy Spirit. Write this down. Number one, according to 1 Peter 2 and many other places, we are the people of God. I want you to say that with me. One, two, three. We are the people of God. Say it again. We are the people of God. Not just you, like I belong to God, although that's absolutely true. If you've chosen to trust in Jesus, you are recreated anew. You belong to God. But the Bible most often, hear me, most often speaks about we, not just you. And so what we have to do is because we've grown up in a society that's so self-focused, everything's about self-help, self-actualization, you becoming who you're supposed to be, we sometimes forget that the Bible is interested in you secondarily. It's mostly interested in God and what we see of him. And then the next layer is we, what God is doing in our world. So you and I belong to God. So the writers of the Bible, most often when they talk to other believers, when they write these letters, use family language. Just count it up the number of times you read in the New Testament where it says brothers and sisters or brothers implying brothers and sisters. The language of the Bible is family language. Why? We really belong to each other. And so we need to get this deep in our soul. If you belong to Jesus, then you belong to God, but we belong to God. And that's going to make a fundamental difference when you think about the life of holiness. How do you grow in living into who God already made you to be? How do you grow in actually walking out this new found relationship with God where I can, I can understand his presence, I can sense his presence, I can hear his voice, I can know his truth, I can walk in his ways. How do we grow this way? The answer is we. We belong to God. Now, the metaphor here is so clear, and it makes sense to, for 26 West Church because of the nature of most of our relationships. It says, like newborn babies crave spiritual, pure spiritual milk. There's tons of babies in this church, which is so incredible. Maybe you're not a baby person. Shame on you. But maybe you're not. Maybe you're, maybe you're into the toddler stage because you like to run around and lock everything up. Maybe you're into the teenage stage. 
Okay, you can be into that, whatever. Maybe you're into the empty nest stage. Like, they're done, they're gone. And you realize they're never gone. (laughs) And they'll cost you more once they leave. Uh, No, they're like babies. Crave, we get it. During this gathering, there are going to be some babies who are going to realize internally it's time for mom. Just the way it is, right? Uh, it's time. Like whether the newborn, it's like every hour, hour, hour and a half, two hours, and then it stretches out a little bit. There is a natural, normal, rightful craving from a child for mom. Why? The child came from mom and is fed by mom, and the metaphor is there for a reason. There's one command. If you look at the first three verses of 1 Peter 2, in all of that, there's only one command. And the command isn't rid yourselves. The command is underline it, crave. Verse 2, like newborn babies, crave. So, so Peter writes to Jesus' followers and says, I'm commanding you. I'm calling you out. I love you. Therefore, I'm telling you, if you want to grow to become the person God already made you to be, it's going to have everything to do with your cravings. Crave spiritual milk. So the most natural thing for a newborn is to crave. Now, over time, they begin to crave other things, right? But the metaphor, and again, all metaphors break down, but he's pinpointing it. Like newborn babies, even if you're 10 years into the faith, live like a newborn baby. Not that you're immature. That's, that's taking the metaphor to the wrong conclusion. In your craving, Never lose that desire like a baby. Every two hours needs more of mom. So you and I are called. If you want to live holy, it starts not with your behavior. It starts with your craving. Your desires will lead you to your actions. Your actions will lead you to your outcomes, and those outcomes often lead to regret. When we want to change who we are living like, we ought to start with our Desires. It doesn't end with craving, but I believe that's where Peter is leaning into it, it, uh, how it begins. So we all have cravings. Now, I'll give you a regular analogy uh, that makes sense. Some of you, you're craving a relationship, and so you found someone, and you thought maybe this is a person I could spend the rest of my life with, and you decided to get married. Great choice. And on your wedding day, you, you, you exchanged vows. You made these commitments one to another. And in that moment and in that ceremony, you became a new couple together, right? You left your houses and you formed a new household. And then in that moment that you got married, uh, after that day, you never looked at someone else with passion and lust and excitement. The moment you got married, you, you never looked at anyone else in the same way. All the cravings for someone else were gone, right? Isn't that what happened to you? So I'm like, when do I confess? When do I confess? The answer is now, right? The reality of it is something really changed the day you were married, but now it has to impact your craving. The decision I made to follow Jesus totally changes my nature to God. I am recreated anew. My sin is gone. By faith in Jesus, the old is gone. The new has come. What God's going to do in the future, he's already doing right now in you. In the future, we're living in a perfect place with God. He's walking on earth with us the way it was meant to be. And you can't get any closer to God. What God 
is going to do in the future for all of us who follow Jesus, he's done now. Now you belong to God. But that doesn't mean my cravings don't stray. Just like I'm married, but I have to deal with my cravings. Does that make sense? Therefore, look, look at what he says. In light of the fact that I have two cravings, I crave to walk with God. The most true thing about you, if you are a Jesus follower, is you have the Holy Spirit. And we'll get into that next week. Because you have the Holy Spirit, your deepest desires is to walk in the right with God. Your deepest desire is not to fulfill the lust of your flesh. Your deepest desire, why? God is embedded in you. The Holy Spirit is living in you. Your deepest desire is to live a life that's pleasing to God, but that deepest desire is, is bucking up against other desires. And so, because we're living with two sets of desires, like a married person has a desire to live in peace and harmony with their spouse, but is also facing the desire to fulfill the passions of their flesh, what we get to do is therefore rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Why? Because the new life is really a new life. So these callings that you and I have as Jesus followers, now if you're not yet following Jesus, this doesn't make sense. Look, why, would I, why wouldn't I just go after my desires? Aren't my desires helpful sometimes? The desire to eat and keep alive is a good desire. The desire to drink water and stay hydrated is a good desire. But at the same token, there are desires that are all mixed up and are out of alignment with God. And so when you choose to follow Jesus, before then, you couldn't even discern. Or if you tried to live the right desires, it was all in your own human effort. And guess what? Human effort always fails. But when you chose to follow Jesus, God gave you his presence, his very Holy Spirit. Now your deepest desires is to live holy, and you can get rid of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. So the call this morning is to crave and to consider our cravings. What are you craving the most? And in light of who you are, we're called to think about. So the invitation here, let's get to the punchline. The invitation is to crave God's presence more than anything. God's presence. Now I'm not saying, when I say God's presence, some of you think like, I need to go to church more? You guys only meet once a week. What do I do on Tuesday? Meet with God. What do you do on Wednesday? Meet with God. What do I do when I'm not in this building? Meet with God. Factor God into all of life. Look for his presence in all situations. Wisdom says, I only know so much, and my experience will only take me so far. What I need is God. And if we will learn to lean on God in the small things and the big things, it will affect what I crave. Now, uh, how does this play out? Let's just keep running, reading. Jump to verse 4, if you would. As you, and this is kind of how it works. As you, and I decided to go country because I got so much backlash against my anti-country comments. As you, y'all, come to him. Y'all isn't in the Bible, but it's on the screen. The living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God, and precious to him, verse 5. You, y'all, also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. One singular, I'll get to that in a minute. To be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God 
through Jesus Christ. So the call is to crave, right? Evaluate my cravings. And if I will crave God's presence, it will lead me on the path of holiness. And holiness is simply being in a spot where God is pleased to dwell. So I get to enjoy him and I get to enjoy the best life possible. And hear me, you're going to hear all sorts of versions of what the best life is. The best life is a life that's pleasing to God. You want to know what the greatest life is for you? It's not what job, it's not your location, it's not your house, it's not your vacation or, or your staycation, it's not how many kids you have or don't have, it's not your experiences. The greatest experience of life is to know that you're in the right with God and you're living in a way that's pleasing Him. That's the best version of your life. But we all don't end up there. And so the analogy is true. Like like newborns, crave God. We get that one. But now, Peter jumps into another metaphor. The first one was about craving, desire. But he flips to another metaphor. This is why the you and the y'all is going to help. He jumps into a metaphor that may be foreign to us because we don't live in a place with temples. But Peter's writing to a group of people following Jesus in cities and towns where temples were predominant. Places of worship were at the center of the city, and he's thinking in particular about the Jewish temple. Notice the words stone, the living stone, spiritual house, holy priesthood, spiritual sacrifices. All of that is speaking about the temple. Now let's look at this for a second because I want us to see the progression. You, every one of you, all of you, this is why it's so important that we think of faith as a we experience, we belong to God. So Peter says, everyone in the church came to him. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, chosen by God, all of you like living stones are being built into one house. And that's, that's the metaphor I want us to see. Peter looks back at the story of the Bible. He reads the Bible in light of Jesus. And he realizes what was embedded in the first part of God's story, a nation of Israel who were surrounded by people who hated the creator. But God planted on planet earth a place for him to meet with his people. And it was called the temple. And if you read the first part of the Bible, you realize this is not an ordinary place. This is a most holy place. It's the place where God meets with men. Ironically, most of the time the temple in Jerusalem was surrounded by people who were not following God. But this was an outpost where people, men and women, could come if they prepared themselves, if they made themselves clean, holy, if they set themselves apart. By all sorts of practical methods, God created a space for him to meet with anyone who came to him on his terms. And now, thinking about the metaphor, we can say this about ourselves. Not only are we the people of God, second thing, write this down, we are actually the temple of God. Not only are we God's people, brothers and sisters, belong to this one global family of people who have chosen to follow Jesus, we're actually the temple. So all of those metaphors in the first part of the Bible, by the way, if you haven't read it, no worries. I'll get to the punchline. The presence of God is so precious, there's only one person going into the most holy place once a year. You can get close to God. You can go to the outer court. Man, if you're a certain tribe, certain people, you're the Levites, you're the set-apart people, you can get into the inner court. But there is no way you're getting to the most holy place 
where God would come and meet with his people one person once a year because the presence of God is so beautiful and so sacred and so unlike us that most of us don't qualify. Now that was the early part of what God was doing. And all of that, my friends, is supposed to be a picture of not a God who's pushing us away, but a picture of what God planned from the beginning. The plan was never the temple in Jerusalem, one person, once a year, going to the most holy place. The plan from the beginning was God to have a people, a kingdom of priests. He said, I'm not a priest. As a matter of fact, priests weird me out. Well, because we have a, a modern-day distorted view. A priest was simply someone who opened the doorway for people to meet with God. Think of a, a really nice doorman, so to speak. They're there to get you in, not just to keep you out, unless it's a restaurant, no T-shirt, no shoes, no service, right? But, but for the most part, the person is, is, is helping you in. And you and I, from the beginning, God always said, I am looking for a whole people who are going to invite other people in to my presence. And guess what? The picture of what was allowable only for one was meant to look forward to Jesus, who is the one once for all. And so Jesus goes into the most holy places. He dies on the cross, and he pays for our sin in full. And just like the high priest, Jesus is our eternal high priest, and he walks in, and the barrier of the curtain that keep, keeps you and I from the presence of God, child craving mom, keeps us from the presence of God, is now been torn from the top to bottom, and it's been split wide open. Hear me. I'm throwing metaphor after metaphor after metaphor. I want you to grab the reality. You were designed for the presence of God. You were created for the presence of God. And now, if you follow Jesus, you and I together are the temple of God. So Peter, reading the Bible in light of Jesus, fulfills the metaphor. Jesus is God's dwelling place. As you come to him, catch this, the living stone or the cornerstone. The picture's back to the temple. And the whole structure is built on this one embedded rock. And that central rock is what everything else is built on. And he's like, oh gosh, that corner of the temple in Jerusalem stone is a picture of Jesus who is our central place and our foundation. And by the way, the whole thing is built on him. Jesus doesn't just visit the temple. He did when he was walking the earth. But because of his death and resurrection, his exaltation, he's at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the king of glory. Now, Jesus is the presence of God, is the temple of God. And guess what? Even more profound than that, because anyone who would say, well, Jesus is the place where we worship God. I get that. Here's the deeper connection. You and I are like living stones being built together in him. Y'all are being built into one house. And I want us to catch this because we're asking the question, how do I deal with my cravings? How do I deal with my desires? Some of my desires are godly. A lot of my desires are not godly. Here's what we remember. Before we try to fix my behavior, I'm going to remember it's about my cravings. I need to remind myself, I am not just a creature of my passions. I am a living person, a living stone connected to Jesus, the presence of God. I belong to him. And if that is true, I can look at my passions, 
look at my desires and not cave in saying, there's no way I can stop it. I can actually look at the higher truth. I belong to Jesus. And in Jesus, there is no sin. And Jesus is wisdom. And in Jesus is power. And in Jesus is holiness. And because I'm connected to him, I can actually overcome that temptation. You and I are the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. Now, you may need to watch the whole podcast again or listen to the whole podcast because I'm metaphor, metaphor, metaphor. If you're familiar with the Bible, this maybe is piecing together. If you're new to the Bible, maybe it's going to take some time. But I'll simply recap. The presence of the God, the presence of God is what changes everything. And what was a mystery and where I had to stand far apart because of Jesus, I have now been brought close. And I am not just a visitor to God's presence. I am enjoined with God's presence. Jesus is the central key to the presence of God because he's God himself and he's included me in the wall. I don't just visit God. I don't just hang out with God. I belong to him. We are the people of God, knit together, and we enjoy the presence of God, which puts perspective on what we're doing here. I think so, more, so many of us get caught in, like, have you gone to church? Do you go to church? Do you podcast? Do you read books? All of those are hopefully helpful things. I'm glad you're here. But the presence of God is never about a building, and the presence of God is never about a time slot. And the presence of God is not about music or messages. It's about the reality that Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, resides in me and you. And together, we are the people of God. We are the place where the presence of God dwells. And you're saying, well, what does this have to do with my cravings? And why do I need the person next to me? Well, we're going to continue to pull this out. Before, in order to do that, uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Are you still there? Okay, so you're like, oh, I'm not sure, but I'll nod. All right, 1 Corinthians 6, pulling this all together. If, I'm the, if we're the people of God and we are the temple of God, what does that mean for my behavior? Uh, Paul, writing to a, another church, says this. In line with Peter, they're saying the same thing. Flee from sexual immorality or sexual craving that's outside of God's design. Why? Do you not know? That your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you receive from God. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. And then the therefore, because that's true, honor God with your bodies. So we get caught up in the, the flea. How do I deal with my cravings? How come I want to do things that just aren't right? How come I do things that aren't right? Well, let's look at the logic. He says, remember who you are. In order to run, which flee is run, escape from, get away from it, I need to remember who I am. I have been bought by God. I was a sinner, and now I'm a saint. Doesn't mean my behavior is perfect, but according to God, you and I are not just sinners that are just getting by. That's the old me. I am now a saint, a person who's qualified for the presence of God, and I belong to him He's bought me. He's put me in his building, so to speak. He's filled me with his presence. Therefore, the most natural thing is for me to honor God. And we got to get that in our mind. If you're a follower of Jesus, the most natural thing, if you're an infant, the most natural thing is for you to crave your mom. Crave spiritual milk. 
The most natural thing for a follower of Jesus is to desire what God desires. But we all struggle, don't we? The struggle is real. And it's in you and it's in me and it doesn't go away. But I need to remember, I am not defeated. I am not prone to and I don't have to continually, habitually live in a way that's displeasing to God. No, he's included me in his building. I'm tied, connected to Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I can live a life that's pleasing. It starts with your cravings. Now, I will admit, if you are not passionately pursuing an ongoing relationship with Jesus, it will be no wonder that the cravings for your natural human desires seem to beat any Jesus-like desires, okay? So let's be real. If I am not pursuing, if I'm not looking for spiritual milk, if I'm not desiring God, it's no wonder I'm living a defeated life. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not a child of God. It just means I get to grow up in my faith. And that's why this series is so important. Because I, I can say no to my sexual desires. I can say no to my, my gossip desires. I can say no to my, and then you just fill in the blank. I can say no. Why? Because God has qualified me. He's included me. He's changed me. He's recreated me. He's filled me. Now I can. And this is why we is so important. For whatever reason, don't ask me, I'm not God. For whatever reason, God has said, the way I'm going to help my kids grow up is by putting them together. And there will be times when I want to do my own desires, but thank God it's not just me and Jesus, it's we and Jesus. And you, because you know me, you're going to call me out. You're going to call me out and say, Jose, you said one thing, but you're doing something else. And so God is going to use the we. This is why church, community, this kind of integrated life is so important because we need to remember it's God at work in all of us and it's God at work, hear me, through all of us. This is why your contribution to the whatever God's doing in this church is so important is because you belong to the body and you are part of the temple and you are the person that God wants to work through. You say, Jose, I have no theological background. I don't know the Bible. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. And so don't tell me and don't tell this community you have nothing to offer. You have everything to offer. You belong to God. So the goal is that we all grow up together encouraging one another. We'll jump back to 1 Peter 2. Look at how he says it this way. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. But you are a chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation. This is speaking to you. God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then he gives them a little history lesson. Once you were not a people, but now you are, it's you and me, we are the people of God. Once you hadn't received mercy before you followed Jesus, you were under wrath. You were under judgment. You were guilty. But he says, you hadn't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's true of you. Now, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain, stay away from, run from sinful desires, which do wage war against your soul. I can relate to that. 
live such good lives among the pagans, those who don't follow God, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Last thought for this morning. We are the people of God, and we are the temple of God. And then write this down. We are called to live in a new way. Because those two things are true of you, you belong to God and you're knitted into God's family, we're called to live in a new way. So the phrases, uh, chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, it's lost on most of us because we didn't grow up with a Jewish background and a temple background. But these metaphors lead us back to the early part of the story, and I'll summarize. God early on in Genesis chose one man, Abram, and said, I want everyone to follow me. And so here's what I'm going to do. In my mercy, Abram, if you read the story, is not that great of a guy. In my mercy, I'm going to bring you close. I'm going to bring you close. You trust me? I'm going to bring you close. I'm going to guide you. And in your family line, I'm going to create a people. We call them Israel. And this group of people, what they're going to do is they're going to declare my praises. They're going to live in relationship with me, and they're going to love me, and they're going to know me. I'm going to forgive their sin. I'm going to be with them. And this is a chosen group of people. Why? Hear me. I want everyone to follow me. So I'm going to have a group of people that are going to be an example of the best possible life. And let me repeat what I said before. The greatest version of your life is the version where you humbly and fully follow Jesus. Doesn't mean your life is perfect. Doesn't mean you don't get sick. Doesn't mean you don't go into debt. Doesn't mean you don't struggle. Doesn't mean you don't have a temptation. But the best life is where you walk with God through all of those things. And so you're called to live in a new way, and I'm called to new, uh, live in a new way. And this is why Jesus is so central. You and I weren't part of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob called Israel. We were excluded from this close, intimate relationship with God. But in Jesus, and we're going to see it in the letter of the Ephesians, God's goal was to pull one group of people together, and it's not just this one group of descendants of one dad long, long ago. Anyone and everyone who puts their faith in Jesus becomes part of the people of God. Everyone who chooses to repent of their sin and follow Jesus becomes the temple of God, the place where God's presence dwells. And you and I can live in a new way. So God's people all throughout the Bible are told to live differently. Look at what it says in verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Again, the metaphor gets lost in us because some of us we're yet to, to understand the early part of the Bible. God put his people, Israel, in the middle of people who didn't follow him and said, live different. Not because you're better and don't look down on them. Live different. Why? You know me. I live with you. I rescued you. I set you apart. I fed you. I cared for you. I healed you. And because I am with you, obviously, living like them doesn't make sense. And here we are as the church. And we live in a real city that doesn't care about Jesus. And we work in real places that don't value Jesus. And we go to school with values and mindsets that are opposed to the way of Jesus. And he says, live like a foreigner. I live in this world, but I'm not of this world. I live in this world system, but this world system doesn't dominate my thinking. Why? I belong to God. And the goal is that God would use this group of people, this church and others uh, around the city and around the world. And what we would be is like a city on a hill 
like a light to the nations that people would see that life with Jesus is the best possible scenario and it's possible for them too. So holiness, going full circle, cravings, is about you and I living into the people God created us to be. But more than that, it's not about us. Look at what he says in verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they're going to see your good deeds. They're going to see your Jesus likeness. And they're going to glorify God on the day he visits us. Pause. If you've been to uh, Israel, you realize that the Temple Mount uh, could be seen from everywhere. It was the high point. And the goal of the, the temple being on a high point is as you come into the city, you would see this is the place and those are the people that meet with God. That makes sense. And so the analogy and the metaphor and the visual now comes to us. Let me just ask you a question. Let's get practical. Think about it before you answer. Uh, two options. One, you came to faith on your own. That's option number one. That is like you were in a spiritual pursuit. Uh, you were given a Bible or got a Bible. You read it. And because of your pursuit, you, you looked, discovered, asked questions, and found out Jesus is who he says he is, and you decided to follow him. That's option one. You on your path seeking, and you read, you discovered, you followed. Option number two, and then I'll have you answer, is someone else modeled Jesus' likeness to you. Someone else shared with you their story. Someone else invested in your life. Someone else was really, you say, why am I following Jesus? It's because of the, the model, it's because of the witness, because of the life of someone else. Option one, it was you and Jesus, and you found your way to him. Option two, was someone else drew you in, and then obviously Jesus became convincing. Or how many of you would say, I fall under the category of option one, it was me and my pursuit? How many of you? Just raise up your hand, if you would, all of you. One, two, three, four, okay, a few. Okay, down, if you would, thank you. How many of you would say it's option two is really more my story? Okay, I want you to look around for a second. Okay, now, now put it down. I'm not saying that you can't find Jesus by yourself. What I am saying is Jesus' word to us is true. He creates a people who inhabit the presence of God, a people who are being changed by the reality of God, a people where Jesus is the center and being transformed so that, hear me, so that other people get invited to the party. So that other people. And so the greatest thing that could happen out of your pursuit of Jesus, be holy because I am holy. Live different because I am different. Fall in line with the character of God because that's what makes sense. Is so that other people will see that Jesus changes people. And one of the greatest results of you pursuing God is not just you enjoying him, but realizing that what God is doing in you is impacting way more than you. So let's go back to the beginning. What are you craving? Because all these things are true. You and I, we are the people of God. We are the temple of God. And we're called to live differently. Let's be honest about what we're craving. Truth is, we're all a mixed bag of desires, aren't we? We're all a mixed bag of desires. I have godly desires and I have ungodly desires. And so this is why the community of God is so important. Because what do I do with my ungodly desires? I bring them to Jesus. Yeah, but Jesus most often isn't texting me in the morning. Most often. You know, maybe an occasional here or there. 
If that's you, God bless you. It's never happened to me. And most often, Jesus isn't checking on me in the way that I think he's checking on me. Usually, it's another Jesus follower saying, hey, Jose, what about X, Y, and Z? And that's not being invasive. That's being loving. Because we're connected, we need one another to live into a holy life. And so we take what we're craving, and yes, we bring those things to Jesus. And some of you this morning say, Jose, you just hit it on the head. Like, I've got these desires that I'm living into. I've got these passions that I'm not holding off on. I'm not even praying about them because, frankly, I'm enjoying them. And I would just say to you in love, come back to God's mercy. God's mercy is enough to, to cover over and cleanse from all the sin and keep you from falling off the cliff, okay? That thing, those people, that activity is not going to breed life. It's only going to breed death and regret. And it doesn't have to because God's brought us together to remind us we can live a holy life. But I think the encouragement and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness is most often expressed through one another. So the Spirit of God wants to put us in a group of people to build one another up. If you follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit's in you and your deepest desires are to follow Jesus. But this morning is an opportunity to worship, to take those other desires and to bring them back into alignment and say to God, God, I come to you for mercy. And I come to you inviting you and ask you as I worship you, God, give me the power to live out my deepest desires. Jesus, I want to follow you. It's why church and the rhythm of gathering and then meeting in smaller communities is so life-giving because it gives us non-stop opportunities to build up a life that's holy. And let me tell you, my friend, it, you may not seem like things are changing now. You walk with a group of people five years or ten years and you'll begin to see bit by bit the transformation that God does in all of us as we live as God's people together. All right, in light of that, let's just bring whatever you got, let's bring it to Jesus. If you'd stand, stand if you would. And we wanna enter into a time of worship. Uh, we wanna celebrate baptism. It's the, the marker, it's the outer expression of us following Jesus. And so this morning, uh, we do have someone who's gonna be baptized. Courtney's gonna be baptized this morning. But maybe the right response for you, hear me, is to simply trust in Jesus, to clean you from the past, and to bring you into a whole new life. And we would love if this morning you're choosing to do that, or you did that a few months ago or weeks ago, and you've never been baptized with water. It is the absolute symbol that God's given us to demonstrate to this world that we now belong to Jesus. And so when we go to the tables in a few minutes, uh, we're gonna give you an opportunity to walk and grab the bread and the cup. And if you've chosen to follow Jesus this morning, or you've done that and not been baptized, I would encourage you, because God has made you holy and set you apart, live like it and show the community that you belong to Jesus. And all you need to do is go over to the baptismal and our elders are there. And they'll listen to your story and we love to baptize you this morning. Lord, we come. We come with our mixed desires. And now we invite you, Holy Spirit, to remind us of what is true. We belong to God. And now give us the power this week as we confess our sins to you, Lord, and to one another. You, may you bring healing and wholeness. Lord, will you create in us a community of people who are honest and willing to talk about things that we're wrestling with so that we can find help, 
and wholeness in you. Lord, use every single one of us, we pray. Every single one of us, from the five-day-old follower of Jesus to the 50-year-old follower of Jesus, God, may you infuse your life in us and work with us to build one another up in the faith. We pray these things, and because of these things, we worship you, King Jesus, in your name. And everybody says...